I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. In addition, you can reach more messages and more Bible teaching on gospeldynamite.org as well. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God? You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with us to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, as today we look at the 1,000-year reign of Christ, the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now this chapter is surrounded by controversy. The controversy swirls around the use of the words thousand years. That is used in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. The controversy concerns the 1,000-year period we call the millennium. Now, there are three dominant views concerning the nature of the millennium. 
First, there's postmillennialism. Now, this view says that the world will get better and better, and when the world has reached the proper stage of perfection, Jesus will return and establish his kingdom on earth. This was a very popular view prior to World War II. Nearly anyone can look at this world and all the wickedness and evil, and we see going on today, it's getting worse and worse, not better. My friend, postmillennialism is a false view of the millennium. Then you have amillennialism. There are several variations of this view, and the primary version says that there is no literal millennial kingdom. The kingdom of God is spiritual in nature, and we're really in the kingdom age right now. Now, many who hold this view believe that Satan is bound right now. The amillennial view spiritualizes these verses. My friend, this is a false view of the millennium. There is a branch of amillennialism known as preterism. And that believe, they believe that the tribulation has already occurred and Jesus has already returned. The preterist believes that Jesus returned in 70 AD and established his kingdom then. Now, their belief system is far more complex than that, but that's the summation of it. Then there's premillennialism. This view holds that humanity will continue to degenerate. The world will go through a literal tribulation. Jesus will return and defeat the Antichrist and establish a literal kingdom on the earth and reign here for 1,000 years. Now, this is the only view that takes these verses we've read this morning literally. It is of my conviction and personal opinion that this is the only true view of the millennium. It's also my belief that these verses comprise the fulfillment of many Old Testament and New Testament promises and prophecies. It's my belief that these verses tell us about a literal 1,000-year kingdom that will exist on the earth. And I believe that these verses describe the final kingdom that will exist in time. One may ask, well, why is there a need for the millennium? Why not just wind it all up, judge sin and sinners, and let the redeemed enter into eternity? Well, the millennium will allow the Lord to accomplish some much-needed goals. Among other things, the millennium will allow the Lord to fulfill his Old Testament promises of a kingdom to Israel. It will serve to put Jesus in all of his glory on public display. It will serve to answer the prayer, Thy kingdom come. It will serve to fulfill the promise that the saints will reign. It will serve to bring the complete redemption of nature and to give man one final test under the sovereign rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while there are many great truths associated with the millennial kingdom, too many to share in one message, 
I want to share with you a few things that will be a reality then. Peace. Peace. All wars will cease. Isaiah 2, 4. Isaiah 9, 4 through 7. Isaiah 32, verses 17 and 18. And a myriad of verses. Joy, the king's subjects will be happy. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. Holiness. This kingdom will be a holy kingdom. There will be rebellion, but the Lord Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. Revelation 19 and verse 15. And capital punishment will be enforced. Isaiah 31, 6 and 7, 35, verses 8 and 9. It will be a glorious kingdom here on this earth with the glory of God in full display. All the citizens of the world will be able to travel to Jerusalem and see the glorified Savior face to face. Isaiah 4, 2, Isaiah 35, verse 2, chapter 40, and verse 5. Think of the comfort that there will be here on this earth. Jesus will fully minister to every need so that there will be no want anywhere on the earth. Isaiah 12, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 30, verse 26, chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. And a myriad of verses. Justice. Not social justice. Perfect justice. Perfect justice will be administered to every individual. Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 32, verse 16. Fullness of knowledge. There's going to be an increase in the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost, and that will result in enhanced mental capabilities. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, verse 9, Isaiah 41, verses 19 and 20. The Lord Jesus will personally instruct his people in the ways of God. Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. Isaiah 29, verses 17 through 24. The removal of the curse. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, God placed a curse upon the earth. This curse will be removed resulting in an increase in the productivity of the earth and in wild animals as they will lose their ferocity and ability to injure or kill, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. Sickness will be removed. The king, the Lord Jesus, will be a healer so that sickness and death will vanish from the earth. Death will only exist as a punishment for extreme sin, Isaiah 33, verse 24, as well as Jeremiah 30 and verse 17. Healing of the deformed. All deformity will be healed, Isaiah 29, verse 17 through 19. Protection. There will be a supernatural preservation of life during the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 14, and chapter 62, verses 8 and 9. No oppression at all in the millennial kingdom. There will be no social, political, racial, or religious oppression in that day. Isaiah 14, verses 3 and 4. No immaturity. It seems that there will be no bodies that are dwarfed or mental illnesses or mental retardation. And we also gather from Isaiah 65 and verse 20 
there will be extreme longevity as the Lord granted at the beginning of time, it will be restored. Think about the reproduction of the living people, by the living people. The living tribulation saints and believing Jews who enter the millennial kingdom will reproduce, and that population of the earth will soar. And all children will be born with a sin nature and therefore will need salvation, Jeremiah 30 and verse 20, 31 and verse 29. We will have a perfect economic system in which all needs will be met by the labor of men under the direction of the king. It will be a fully industrialized world, Isaiah 62, verses 8 and 9, Isaiah 65, verses 21 through 23. Economic prosperity. The perfect labor situation will produce economic abundance so that there will be no want. Isaiah 35, verses 1 and 2, verse 7 as well of that same chapter. Isaiah 30, verses 23 through 25, and a myriad of verses on that. There will be an increase of solar and lunar light that will produce longer growing seasons, accounting for the increase in productivity. Isaiah 30, and verse 26. There's going to be a unified language. All language barriers will be removed, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9. There's going to be unified worship. The entire world will worship God through the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah 45 verse 23, Isaiah 66 verses 17 through 23. And then finally, the fullness of the Spirit. All who are subject to the king will experience divine enablement and presence, Isaiah 44 and verse 3. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Now, those are just a few of the glories of that future kingdom. But I call your attention to our text because in verses 1 through 3, we have a prophecy that involves Satan. There's a strong angel that descends from heaven, and the Bible says, laid hold on the devil. The phrase literally means to have power over, to be one's master. This angel is empowered by heaven to be the devil's master. He grabs Satan. He binds him with a strong chain that will remain on him for 1,000 years. There's no disputing who the Bible is talking about in these verses. He's called the dragon, that old serpent, the devil, Satan. Those names reveal all that we need to know about his character. As a dragon, Satan is looking for those he might devour. As a serpent, he's ever seeking for those that he may deceive. As the devil, he is the false accuser, always looking for someone to defame. As Satan, the adversary, he is always seeking someone to defeat. In one day, my friend, he will get what's coming to him. And from all appearances, it seems that the devil is winning the war between good and evil. But as they say, appearances can be deceiving. God will have the last word in this matter, and Satan is powerful, but he isn't all-powerful. Only God can lay claim to that title. Now notice with me in verse 3, there's a heavenly incarceration. This angel removes the devil from the earth for 1,000 years. Can you imagine with me a world with no devil? It would almost be like heaven. 
There'll be no one to tempt the people to evil. No one will whisper lies into the ears of his of their minds. No one will remind us how wicked we were and how wicked we are. No one will set traps for us to fall into. A world without the devil would be a wonderful place. Without a devil, there would be peace, prosperity, joy, holiness, and blessing. That will be the order of the day. While the earth will rejoice in his absence, the devil will be getting a small taste of what awaits him for all eternity. We're told here that he will go to the bottomless pit. The term translates the word abyss. This seems to be an ancient prison where certain demon spirits are incarcerated by the Lord. And you'll find that in Jude verse 6. We saw this abyss open in Revelation 9, verses 1 through 12. And when the pit was open, terrible demons issued forth to torment people on the earth. Satan will be confined to this prison for 1,000 years. And what will Satan do for 1,000 years? He will bide his time because he knows that he will be released for a short season. And we'll talk about more of that in just a few moments. But that's the prophecy involving Satan. Verses 4 through 6, we see the prophecy involving saints. Now, verse 4 tells us that there is coming a day when the saints of God will rule with their Redeemer. Here's a reminder of the events leading up to this moment for the saints of God. Jesus will return in the clouds above this earth in the rapture. He will come to catch his bride away. He will take his bride home to heaven. We will face him at the judgment seat of Christ. Then we will join him for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus will return to this earth in power and glory, bring his people back with him. He will defeat all of his enemies, establish his kingdom on this earth, and allow us the privilege of reigning with him for 1,000 years. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, Revelation 5, and verse 10. Now, verse 4 also tells us that the next part in this particular verse seems to introduce another set of saints. It speaks of those who endured the horrors of the tribulation period without tarnishing their testimonies or denying their faith. Now, some of these saints died during the tribulation, but they've now been resurrected. Others made it alive to the end of the tribulation, and they're allowed to enter the millennium. All of these tribulation saints join with the bride of Christ, and we reign with Christ for 1,000 years. And according to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27, also promises that the Old Testament saints will reign during this time as well. Now, imagine a world where there's no devil. Imagine a world filled with the redeemed saints of God from Pentecost to the rapture. Imagine a world where the brave saints of the tribulation will be living. Imagine a world where you might walk down the street and bump into Adam, Abraham, David, Moses, or Elijah. That world will exist one day. Now notice with me in verses 5 and 6. These verses reveal that there are two resurrections. Now, some people believe in a general resurrection. They believe that all the dead will be raised at one time, and the sheep, which represent the saved, will be sent to heaven, while the goats, which represent the lost, will be sent to hell. The Bible teaches very clearly that there will be two resurrections. Luke chapter 14, verse 14, John chapter 5, verse 29, Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. 
Verse 11 of that, Paul adds a preposition making the word mean out resurrection from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, he says on order or battalion. Now Jesus led the victory march and we will all follow him each in our own place. The first resurrection occurs at the second coming of the Lord Jesus and includes the saints raised at the rapture as well as all those resurrected at the end of the tribulation. Now the Bible says that those who have a part of this resurrection are blessed. Why? They will not have to endure the second death. However, all those who have rejected Jesus as their Savior from the time of Adam all the way to the end of the millennial kingdom will be raised at the second resurrection and the poor, unfortunate souls will all face Jesus at the great white throne and they will spend eternity in the lake of fire. If I were you, I would do everything in my power to see to it. I was part of that first resurrection. Now notice with me in verses 7 through 10. We have not only a prophecy involving Satan, a prophecy involving saints, but we have a prophecy involving sinners. In verse 7, after being bound in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years, Satan is turned loose. Why? Why is he turned loose? There must be a reason because verse 3 says he must be loosed. Now, I'm certain that we will never fully understand all the reasons why, but I will offer one or two for you to consider. First, the event proves that the devil is incorrigible and unrepentant. Incorrigible meaning that he is incapable of doing anything righteous before God. He is completely unrepentant. Even after God has proven to the devil countless times that he is stronger, Satan still continues in his stubborn rebellion against God. God has thwarted every plan launched by the devil, and still Satan stands in defiance and open rebellion to God. Secondly, this event will prove the total inability of man to save himself, even in a perfect world. It also proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that lost man is totally depraved. There's no good in him, and left to himself, he'll always go away from God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Of course, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. But in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 8 and 9, we see that Satan will have forces. And where will the devil find this vast army? After all, the world is perfect. There's no poverty. There's no disease. There's no war. It's a perfect world. Why would anyone fall for the devil's lies or rebel against God? Now remember, millions of people entered the millennial kingdom in flesh and blood bodies. Some were believing Jews. Other were tribulational saints. These people married. These people had children. In fact, because of perfect health and perfect living conditions, the population of the earth will explode. People will live to be a thousand years old again. The children born during the millennial kingdom will be raised in a perfect environment, and still they will rebel against God. Every one of these little children 
born into the world, they're having a sin nature. And every one of them will still need to be saved from their sins by faith in the finished work of Christ at Calvary. In a world where they will travel to Jerusalem and see King Jesus in person, they will still refuse to bow to him in faith and repentance. In a world inhabited by the characters of the Bible, the glorified saints of God, and by those who have endured the tribulation period. Many millions will not be saved. They will keep the rules because they will be forced to. But in their hearts, they are still rebels in need of a redeemer. And they're still sinners in need of a savior. Verses 9 and 10, we see Satan in his finale. Satan raises his vast army and leads them in one final assault against King Jesus in Jerusalem. They do not stand a chance. God himself ends the battle by raining fire down from heaven. The rebels are destroyed in a moment of time and they all drop off into hell and await judgment. Satan himself is cast into the lake of fire where he will spend eternity being tormented along with the Antichrist and the false prophet. You and I should scream hallelujah there. When the smoke clears and the dust settles, the Lord God Almighty will have the last say in the matter. God wins. End of story. My friend, this all boils down to one question. One simple question. Whose side are you on? Have you joined forces with the devil or have you enlisted in the Lord's army? Right now it appears that the devil is winning the battle. It's kind of like that little league game I heard about. A little boy was sitting in the dugout, and a man walked by and said, Hey, son, what's the score? The little boy said, They're beating us 25 to 0. Man responded and said, well, ain't that a little bit depressing? The boy said, no, mister, we ain't even got up to bat yet. My friend, that's where things stand today. If you're looking at the scorecards, it appears that we're entering the 15th round and that the devil's won the other 14. It looks that way. When the bell rings and the final round begins, King Jesus is going to deliver the knockout punch. My friend, if I were you, I'd be sure I was on the right side of this thing. I'd be sure that I was ready to meet God. I'd be sure that I was ready to meet Jesus Christ. You don't want to meet him at the great white throne. You want to meet him in the power and the mercy and the grace that he can offer you in salvation. Where do you stand? Are you ready to meet God? You can be if you'll come to Christ today. Come to him. He wants to save you. He wants to save your soul.